Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Sam. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Stuck at the office or traffic jam. Time to take it easy with Alyssa and Sam. Is that show you know? A pro. Just a quick trigger warning for you guys before we jump into this. We are obviously going to be talking about eating disorders and body image, stuff like that. Um, we do briefly kind of touch on um, suicidal thinking and and suicide as well, um, and super briefly on like um, substance abuse. Okay, so today we have a very special guest with us. We have Annie Kuzlin joining us. So Annie is a registered clinical counselor. She's actually our counselor, <laughs> mine and Alyssa's. Um, and the reason we wanted her to come on to today is because I when we were filming the the podcast with Sarah Bird's Papaya we had kind of touched on disordered eating a little bit and stuff like that and when we were editing it back and listening through I realized that this was something that I know nothing about and so Annie you actually worked um at St. Paul's Hospital downtown an eating disorder clinic Mm -hmm. um so we wanted to kind of bring you on to to talk about that just because I feel like this is a topic that not a lot of people talk about not a lot of people know about Mm -hmm. why why do you think that is first of all so I think I think that people do know about it but I don't think they talk about it I think um, there is so much noticing of people's bodies in our society today especially with the the prevalence of social media um, and even in the background print media you know we're just bombarded with it constantly but we do not get into those conversations around um, body shape. We it's it's sort of in some ways it's a taboo um, topic, but in some ways, you know, lots of girls. Um, it has like um, uh, a bit of a slang. They call it fat talk, mm. where it's like we talk about our bodies, right? Oh, you look oh, right. great, or oh, I don't like my thighs, or whatever that is. And so there's sort of two schools of. There's Sam, two- <laughs> don't look over at me, okay? <laughs> no, but it's. Pr- like think about it right some people won't wear a bikini some people won't even wear a bathing suit some people won't wear shorts and you know and then you've got the flip side of that and people so it's it's everywhere but we kind of skirt the topic I think we don't sort of hit um confront it head on in kind of a really healthy robust conversational way it's it's almost like we we don't talk about it yeah yeah yeah. That's that's actually interesting because I do notice that there's so many people even even like when I was younger and stuff I know I talked about this in the uh, Birds Papaya podcast but that from a young age it's like oh like you know the age old like does this do these jeans make my butt look fat mm-hmm. or whatever right. like it's such like a household kind of like yeah and thing. from a really young age too I think we talked about that in the other podcast as well is that it's it's crazy to me to think back um you know, for how long I've felt self-conscious about my body. Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm not good enough or that I have to wait until my body gets to a certain point before I can do certain things or wear certain things or whatever. Um, And it's it's crazy to me how young it starts. And so I I kind of was curious as well, like, how do you feel, um, how do eating disorders start? You know, I I think um, the answer to that. So so I'm going to start at the front end of this sort of podcast talking about this in a in sort of a general way because this there's a lot of um it's there's it's difficult to come up with simple answers it's a super complex topic mm-hmm. um and there's lots of things that 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 roll into it so but what i can do is answer sort of small questions within the bigger questions yeah. um with a bit more con- concrete answers um so i we know from research that genetics can play a bit of a, a part trauma 
can play a part, um, our, our family and uh, uh, the relationship, because really it's about our relationship to food mm. and it's a relationship to our bodies. Right. And how all of that plays out. So, you know, in the family, you know, does what is eating like in the family? Is it is are there are there bad foods and good foods mm. or is it just, you know what, we kind of eat everything in moderation. We we, we enjoy foods that maybe are off limits, quote unquote, um, you know, so it's it's start. It can start really young. And it starts with messaging. I had one client who just said, you know what, I was 18 and my mother looked at me and said, honey, you know, mm, those pants probably don't look the best on you. You may want to lose a few pounds. Whoa. Seriously, <laughs> right? And and that was literally in her mind, it just something flipped. Yeah. And it was like a switch, she said. And from that moment on, it, it was on. Yeah. And she was restricting um, and that led into... Uh, often when restricting happens, so you, there's different types of eating disorders, obviously, but it just began the ball, ball rolling, right? So yeah. now likely there were other factors in place previous to that flip switch, like, um, switch flipping, but it, it can be like that, right? So we just need to be really thoughtful around what comes out of our mouth, around people's bodies. Yeah, no kidding. And their eating and all that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so in that, like when you talk about genetics and like environmental factors as well, like there are then some people that would more, be kind of more susceptible to eating disorders, would you say? So there is research to show, and, uh, you know, again, we're in the land of sort of be careful around what we talk (laughs) about. Um, uh, Certainly with bulimia, um, specifically, the research shows that there might be more of a prevalence um, to those who have grown up in um, families with substance uh, challenges. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a bit of a correlation there. but just even just environmental factors around, you know, uh, uh, I have another client whose mom is obsessed with what not to eat or what to eat. So she just watches that, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you if it's really about attitudes genetically, yeah, there is, and there is also some some uh, correlation though, not like directly correlated around sexual trauma mm. as well, sexual abuse. And is there um, is there a reason between the correlation of um, like trauma and substance abuse and stuff like that? Like I know that kind of in um, like TV shows and stuff like that, they say it's because you want to control something of your life. Is that true or is that just like media trying to place a label? No, I would say that I would say then again, the research bears out that, you know, often uh, people who are struggling with those challenges are do you feel out of control and do you feel um you know we look at self-esteem their sense of who they are how they feel about themselves um you know and often they feel like their lives are out of control and that is the one area that they can control completely and so Mm -hmm. it's yeah i would say there is a correlation there for sure around control yeah i'm kind of curious um what the ratio is from like male to female in terms of eating disorders because i feel like this is something that's viewed as like a predominantly female issue so to speak Mm -hmm. um but is that accurate yeah i would say that is accurate so um in our diagnostic manual it states um that um so that so there's anorexia right which is typically associated with restriction um of intake of food and then there's bulimia um there's a couple of types of bulimia uh restrictive type and then purging type um uh and so with anorexia, I think the prevalence um, 
the numbers are around 0.5% of the female population. And then the male population is one-tenth of that. Oh, wow. Mm. And it's the same for bulimia as well. So essentially the male currently, the data says it's about one-tenth um, of, and then the bulimia is around 3 to 5% of the female population. Though anecdotally, I'm not sure that that's, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm treading carefully here, but, <laughs> but I, I just, you know, I just see a lot more of it than maybe is reported. And, and there is some research to, to show that as well. Oh, but. interesting. That actually might be something to, to think about is that are females more likely to report that they're, that they're struggling, mm, yeah. right? Because they, I mean, to get statistics, you have to report it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, that's interesting. That mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a shot of espresso every time I listen to like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the other thing about that is, you know, um, there is in, in our in our diagnostic criteria, in order to be diagnosed with anorexia or with bulimia, you have to fit these criteria. So you have to, um, for bulimia, for instance, it's, um, you know, show a an above average intake. And I think it's purge. I think it's three times a week for four weeks that if that if that's in place, then you are di- you know, diagnosable with bulimia. But but what I see is it's not quite that cut and dry and it's not yeah. quite that, you know, um, uh, in a in a box like that. There's just people that, you know, from time to time they overeat and they perch or they overeat and then they spend the next day, they don't eat at all. So there's mm. these sort of, um, although there's this diagnosed pieces, there's the Tons stuff that's way outside eating. of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah like you can still be struggling but not fit into a, like a certain box. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's almost dangerous too because you might be less likely to seek out help and and not even like like to an extreme level but even like going to talk therapy and stuff like that surrounding yeah. that well and that's what I was kind of just thinking first of all I, I just had a question are eating disorders categorized as like a mental Ill- health illness kind of thing they are in our diag so we have a, a diagnostic manual called the DSM so and that is a I think I've shown it to you yeah. guys it's it's just a big old book where it's a big old book. big old book, <laughs> big right? old where they where they they just you know they say yes these are these are things that we've seen and these are the criteria that we think encapsulate that and so we have that as a reference um so yeah it's 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 eating disorders is definitely in there for yeah. sure because yeah. this is what i was curious about is like with with depression and stuff like that my depression in the beginning i didn't even realize that's what it was Mm -hmm. and like I think I had heard it before and stuff like that and I was like oh that's not what I have right because I had a different vision of what depression looked like like I thought depression depression was just suicide like and that was the only thing kind of thing so I had a hard time kind of self-diagnosing that and coming to understand that that's what was going on and I'm curious if it's if it's similar with eating disorders like do from from your experience like working in that um clinic do you feel like a lot of people I mean at that point they probably were aware they had an issue yeah the the people that we worked with were very clearly diagnosed yeah um and, uh, you know, seeking very um, structured help uh, in that regard. Yeah. Um, uh, so can you ask the question again? I lost yeah. it. Um, so I just basically was wondering, like, do you feel like a lot of people even recognize that they have 
eating disorders or disordered eating patterns kind of thing? Or do you feel like that's something that a lot of people just write off as being like, well, this is normal and like I try to avoid carbs and whatever, stuff like that? I would say that's the latter. I think that, and, and unfortunately because of the, per, you know, again, it's it, our society is so filled with, oh, do, you know, go, go to Dr. Bernstein or try the keto or try the, and it yeah. becomes, so many of the clients I have in my in my practice, it kind of was just like a slippery slope. They started on keto and you know and then they start weighing themselves every day and then oh mm-hmm. and then and then it becomes this obsession if you will with losing the weight yeah. and right and and just focusing on restrict like I can't have that but I can't have that and it's everywhere and now you know you've got the intermittent fasting thing I mean it's just it's just one thing after another right yeah. um yeah and there unfortunately there's very few approaches that seem very balanced mm. um yeah uh, that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like diet culture has become more prevalent in late, like in, in recent years? Or is it maybe just that like I'm an adult now, so I know about it? <laughs> I think it's been going on for a long time. I yeah. really do. In different forms. Right. We've just been, um, I think we're starting to talk about it more, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, really healthy and and talk about it in terms of, you know, our, um, what we say to people about you know, because unfortunately, uh, again, I have clients where, you know, their their mom or their dad will, will say something, not with bad intention. But they're but just not thinking. They're just not thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has a huge impact. Well, and I think that that's the thing that's so tricky about, like, language surrounding this topic is that a lot of the times, you know, it's things like you are talking about your own body mm-hmm. more often than not, especially, like, when you're with your friends and stuff, like, when you talk about fat talk. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you're more often than not talking about your body, not theirs. But I think that that does cause this self-reflection of like, well, then if you think that about your body, Mm -hmm. because my body looks like this in comparison to yours. And, you know, and I think that that does kind of cause this vicious cycle. And that is why it starts so young. Yeah. Because people don't even realize, I think, what their words are kind of doing and that, you know, it's, it becomes this byproduct of you having that issue with yourself, um, which is so sad (laughs) it feels like how does this ever end well and i think i think the the sad part that i see is that it it um it limits people in terms of joy in their life oh yeah right like the in terms of that wholehearted living piece of just going out and doing whatever you want that you know think about our bodies are such gifts in terms of what we get to get up to in them right and so if we're if we're if we're so limited because of what we will what we think we can wear or can't wear or can do or can't do it's it's kind of it's it's really sad Mm -hmm. it's it's quite it's right like i just see that as um so really just you know in terms of moving when i work with people it's around you know what do i so with the body piece um really getting off the body piece yeah talking about who are you you know, who are you as a person? What do you bring? What What do you bring emotionally? What do you bring psychologically? What do you bring mm-hmm. into the world that is separate from your body? The body is just a small piece of all that, but there's so much focus on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And that's part of the problem is that when people get so focused on their body, they actually stop understanding who they are. Oh, yeah. They just lose it. They lose well, their and sense I, of and self. And I think that there really is this kind of ideology in our culture that um, once you get the body to where it's supposed to be, 
everything else falls into place exactly. like you'll feel so much better you'll feel healthier you'll look happier yeah. you'll be happier you know like and i think that because there's so much emphasis put on that people are scared about the idea that they're like well what if my body never gets to that point like am i ever going to be happy exactly. and we in this other podcast we had with this other um woman sarah we talked a lot about you know the reality of feeling like you look back at old photos and you're like oh I looked so good then. I looked so good. I wish my body looked like that now. But you weren't happy then either. No. Yeah. Because it's never enough. And so I'm curious, like, what um, what does recovery actually look like for eating disorders? So it's a different. It's a it's a very um, unique and in- individual road. I'll be really honest with you. And even um, when I've worked with clients and they feel like they're recovered. They're, it's a bit disheartening because they know that the work is just beginning mm, yeah. <laughs> around, around you know, maybe they've been able to, because, you know, using, um, it's also, uh, using eating disorders, it's, it's a coping mechanism, yeah. right? So when they learn new Don't coping I know mechanisms, any. right? <laughs> right, it is. Yeah. Um, and so it's so when, when, that's why therapy is super helpful, I think, especially, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is often touted as sort of the approach to working with eating disorders, but there's lots of different approaches, I think. And and once people start actually learning who they are and getting happy with themselves, then life does get better. And then recovery does happen because they actually start realizing, I am more than my eating disorder, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's actually a great book called Life Without Ed which is eating disorder, yeah. right? Um, and it, it just talks about her her battle with this voice in her head that is her eating disorder. And so recovery is about understanding who you are, learning to love that person. If, if you don't love that person, what do you need to change? What do you want to shift? Yeah. Right? That internal, and you guys have heard me talk about this over and over again, <laughs> the internal narrative, yes. right? The internal narrative. It's changing that internal narrative and getting present to it because... Um, once you can actually sort of fight back with that that internal narrative and start to correct it, then that's that's when things start to shift, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing I want to say about that that we know about eating disorders is that you have to be ready to change. Yeah. You want if you're not ready to change, you won't change. We we started working with a bunch of people at the clinic. Um, because they were so incredibly ill, our anxiety was really high. So we're like trying to push them into into um, into therapy and into healing and into um, recovery. And they're like, no, 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 I'm getting way too much out of this. Like yeah. they weren't ready to give it up because right. there's certain perks that comes with eating disorders or at least perceived perks. Yeah. And so the person, we call it readiness for change, right? So when someone is ready to change, then recovery begins. And yeah. people can step into that, but it's intentional and it takes time and patience. Well, and that kind kind of seems like interlaced with um, like how addiction is approached as mm-hmm. well, because that's also something that I feel like that is a huge piece of of the recovery portion as well, because you can't just force someone into no. <laughs> rehabilitation, right? Mm-hmm. And they're both compulsive disorders, like mm-hmm. addiction and eating disorders. There, there's some similarities in terms of their the compulsive nature of them, right? Yeah. So. So exactly, similarly, they need to be ready for change. And when they're ready for change, then they step in and then it becomes a pretty intentional process. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is that process? Like, I, uh, there's the mental side to it. What, it, what does the phys- physical side look like? Because obviously, these people now, if they were coming into like a rehabilitation center, mm-hmm. you have to eat. <laughs> so what does that look like for them? 
So it, it's different for depending on sort of the nature of your eating disorder. But if you've been re- some, you know restricting for years, then then what it looks like. Um, so in the residential facility where I did some work, it looks like fixing your own food as part of a group. You eat as a group. You incorporate. You eat foods that might seem that in your mind are forbidden. Yeah. So maybe it's incorporating slowly a food that has been forbidden. Um, one client I have gave up peanut butter oh. for like oh, years, no. like for 20 years. And then, so so now um, wow. they actually <laughs> are butter. better now and they, that's their favorite food. <laughs> Good. It is their favorite yeah. food. Good. But, wow. but you see, just ran, so they, they just in their minds make, nope, can't have that. So it, it looks like incorporating um, in terms of, you know, with bulimia, with purging or overexercising, it's replacing those behaviors with something that is a more healthy coping mechanism. You need, just like an addiction, you need to replace those behaviors. So, as otherwise, there's just like, oh, I don't know what to do. This is what I normally do. After I eat a big meal, I go and I purge, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what does that look like? So, you know, stalling tactics. So you instead of going to the bathroom, you go for a walk and you take somebody with you. Mm. And then you, and then maybe you go and, you know, you go for a cup of tea or like there's just, there's different strategies around getting out of the, the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the point of um, someone restricting peanut butter is really uh, important because that's not a food that we would normally think of somebody restricting. Usually you would think of somebody restricting like bread or um, like potatoes or mm-hmm. those are kind of like what come to my mind when mm-hmm. I think about restrictive eating. Um so I think that it would be hard to even like, rec- I don't know, again, just speculating, but it would be hard to even recognize in yourself maybe if 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 that is, in, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. restrictive eating because, oh, well, I'm just going to take away this or that. Because, or it, because it's not like a traditional restricted food kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Or for other people, I guess, to see it that way. You yeah. know, if you have like a friend or whatever that just, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's so inter- interesting. It's interesting because um, <laughs> it's interesting. Oh lord, <laughs> we need a thesaurus. <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, but uh, when I took that nutrition course, um, they did talk about peanut butter. Oh really? Yeah, because it's a high fat food, and so they oh talked. Relax. They talked a lot about because because the whole focus of that is um around you know like the top ten killers, and like I think it's six or seven of those are can be food related and so they talked a lot about like restricting like no oil whatsoever very limited nuts like very limited sugar all that kind of stuff and yeah um, but sam that nutrition course was like crazy oh it's intense it's intense but that's but that's the thing that i think is so difficult is like there's so much in our world that has this relationship with food and i think that a lot of people there's there's the um like self-esteem and and body image portion to it but there's also this portion of people that are so scared of getting sick and they're so scared of the idea of um getting cancer from eating certain types of foods or Mm. doing certain types of things um getting scared of heart disease especially if it runs in their family and i think that it's what i've noticed from my transition into trying to eat more plant-based is that um once i started focusing on one thing i started focusing on everything Mm. yeah so it wasn't just oh i'm gonna eat plant-based I'm going to eat plant-based and I'm not going to eat processed foods. And then I'm going to cut out oil and then I'm going to cut out sprinkled salt and then I'm going to cut out added sugar and then I'm going to cut out. And it's just like it becomes so many other things because you feel like if if I'm not doing them all, then I'm not doing anything. And I think that it's – I started to realize – holy fuck like this is this is such a slippery slope where like it does become one thing to the next to the next to the next and you don't even notice that it's happening because 
you just feel like you're doing right by your body almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's easy, I think, to get in that mindset. But and and one of the one of the the sort of classic things we talk about with addiction um, and also with eating disorders is all or nothing thinking. Mm, right? I've heard that it's word huge, before. Right? Heard that before. So all or nothing, <laughs> black and white, right? And so so really, you know, when we therapeutically when we talk about recovery and we look at healing. And really, with eating disorders, yes, but with lots of things, we're really looking for middle ground. Yeah. Right? Like, because I don't know that extreme ever serves us Mm. particularly well. It hasn't Um, worked for me so far. (laughs) Well, you know, like, I just think, and and, and again, you know, I really go back to that notion of joy. Mm -hmm. Where is joy? Where does joy live in our world Um, with food? Like, and and I think that that's a, a very complex topic because... You know, joy, food can give joy, but people get so caught up in not this and not that and can I have this? And it, it's like it takes all the joy out, of, out yeah. of what is supposed to be something I think that can enhance our lives. This is where I struggle. And I've talked to you about eating before a little bit, but um, in like our sessions. But as soon as you start saying things like that, I'm like, so I should eat poutine. Like, I, and, and that is like all or nothing. Like it goes back to like, I'm like, okay, so you've just liberated me. But and you know what? I feel justified in I would, garbage. And I would say, eat poutine. Have some poutine. There you have it. Don't eat poutine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which is what my daughter does. That's, um, that's but, where I struggle. But no, but have, you know, we, we actually went out to a French restaurant the other night and it was, you know, it was from Quebec. It was a Quebec, and we had poutine. And but I don't. I mean, I probably have poutine once a year. But if there's someone that has a specialty, yeah, right. have like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like don't, everything in moderation. Right, ice cream. I know yeah. another client hasn't eaten ice cream in like five years, and I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, and there's, there, that's fine. But it's um, yeah. It's just it's an it's it's a bit of a thought track, right? Yeah. It's just. It, it, yeah, because yeah. I think, like, it's so easy, for me at least, like, this is kind of my relationship with food, is, like, it flip-flops from one side to the extreme right. other, because it is going from, like, the all-to-nothing stage kind of thing of being, like, okay, either I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it full force, or now I feel like I failed, so I am just going to eat garbage for the rest of the week, because I feel like it's the damage is done, right. it's too late to get back on right. the horse for today kind of thing, whereas, like, it could be, like, you had a poutine in an otherwise healthy day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, like, balanced, you know, day, but then you make it into something so much more than it is because of that guilt. So two things out of that is, is are we able to actually sit in the enjoyment of and he's um, so popular. Oh, stop it! Um, <laughs> my phone. I should have turned it off. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, um, is you know, two things: mindfulness. When you're eating your poutine, are you enjoying it? Or are you feeling guilty? Oh yeah, I'm enjoying Good. it. <laughs> because if you're if you're eating it, going, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this. You're kind of defeating the purpose. Yeah. So like, be present. If you're gonna do it, do it and do it all in. Mm-hmm. Like, love every second of it. Savor it. <laughs> Right? And then walk away and go, okay, I did that. So I'm probably going to have a salad for dinner just because I know that I'll feel lighter in my stomach and I'll just, you know, get my greens in, like whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, oh, I just ate that poutine and now the rest of the days are right off and I'm a horrible person and what's yeah. wrong with me? I have no self control. And so the narrative goes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so I think that that's a really important thing is, yeah. Yeah, the guilt for me becomes it's it's before and after, but never during. <laughs> yeah, I'm I've, ne- I've never seen Sam so joyous 
as when she's enjoying poutine. And this is a, like this is the longest love she's had, I think. It is. Minus mm-hmm. salt and vinegar chips. Yeah. They're up there. Yeah. They're <laughs> up there for me. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm wondering so we talked a little bit about recovery and stuff like that and I'm I'm wondering how do you know when you've recovered? That's another complex question. Um <laughs> well, it just is, right? And it's also very um very individual. I I've had uh, clients who think that they will never recover mm-hmm. in terms of they they no longer mention purge they are at a n- normal whatever that means weight um, they go about their lives they feel like they have good boundaries they but their relationship with food will never be the same it just it's always that it's always there for them and I would actually say that most people that I have encountered and I have a client that I worked with at St. Paul's Hospital um in my in my practice now yeah and so i would have worked with her in 2000 so 20 years later and uh, almost and she you know still struggles yeah and and she's fine like she's healthy and she enjoys food and they you know it's it's but it's just still kind of there for her so i don't know i don't know the answer to that i mean I, i i think there are the people who who've moved on and and don't really think about it really much anymore it's not um, as a controlling part no, of their life no and I would say even this other client it's, it doesn't control their life but it's still like a little a little thing back there mm-hmm. yeah I think it just becomes um a, a, a management process so it's a it's a process of 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 yes that occurred that was a part of of who I was and and having self-compassion in that and self-compassion you know you talked about recovery and um, I, I just think that that's that self-compassion piece that learning to get to know who you are a lot of individuals struggling with disordered eating have no sense of who they are they really they've um, been so so typically busy doing what everybody else thinks they should do mm-hmm. um, and should be and they really never landed on who fundamentally they are and so the recovery process is really about refinding that out yeah right really getting clear on that um because again it goes back to i truly believe it goes back to what am i paying attention to right um and not focusing on the bad on you know noticing it's there but focusing on okay that was that and Mm -hmm. now what this is actually better and my my this is what i'm up to now Mm -hmm. these are the healthy things that i'm doing in my life to celebrate who i am and what i bring and i think that a a big part of that i mean there's obviously things that i don't talk about on the podcast for you know for my own sake but i think a big part of any type of recovery is being um like grateful Mm -hmm. like and grateful for what you do have now what you still have what could be to come and just being yeah just being like like you said present Mm -hmm. and kind of noticing like the relationships that you're building you know how beautiful nature is you know (laughs) all all of these things um that you i well you know you don't really maybe not notice when you're in active addiction or um in you know the throes of an eating disorder or something like that which i can't speak to but um yeah i just i think that like yeah gratefulness is like well, and I think that it takes the focus off of other things, right? Just like you were saying, Annie, like I think that that makes it, it makes it about this thing over here rather than this thing that I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And and I think that shifting that focus is super important. And I think that it's also the hardest thing to master. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing about that is I think, you know, certainly with addictions and I think with eating disorders, um, an emotion or uh, the, the notion of shame Mm. Um, is big yeah and shame can really uh derail us um in terms of 
who we think we are as a human being, our deservedness on the planet, um, and all the and so we live. We start to to um, kind of fold in upon ourselves almost like in, in this place in this way of feeling not deserving or um, uh, you know and another thing I wanted to say about recovery being able to say no mm. because a lot of uh, individuals struggling with eating disorders say yes they can't they, they cannot say no because they feel like they'll let somebody down and so every time they do that they, they kind of give up a piece of themselves right when yeah. when they really want to say no but they say yes, and then they just kind of go, okay. So so having boundaries, um, black and white thinking and having boundaries, <laughs> I you know, I think I've said to you guys, I have a joke or a, you know, no is a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You don't need to actually explain, no, I can't because, or gee, I'd love to, but no, I can't actually. That is my sickness. Right? Annie. <laughs> right? <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. I, right? I, I, that is huge. And I used to be a huge yes person. Mm-hmm. And recently, because I'm trying to not drink alcohol, <laughs> not just for myself, um, I, I do say no now if mm-hmm. somebody wants to go to a pub or whatever. Because like, you know, it's, I'm a 25 year old, you know, whatever. It's pretty easy for me to go in and just have like a casual drink. But for me, that's something that I don't want to be doing right now. Yeah. And so it's harder for me to say no if I'm in a pub rather than going to the, you know, local YMCA with Samantha. The, I, man, we should be sponsored by the YMCA. I'm just, like not even joking. You know? yeah. um, but I, I do think that that's really important. And, um, you know, people in my family have struggled and, and whatever. And like re- being able to remove yourself from the situations where the temptation or the desire is so much greater is, all, I think, ultimately like what yeah, maybe not ultimately, but is a huge factor in it, in your success or not. Yeah. Um, in relation to eating with saying no and stuff like that, this is something that I've kind of come to notice over the past couple of years is that there's certain people that I have completely different eating habits with versus like others. Um, like there's some friends of mine that I, I eat way larger portions than I normally would because like Alyssa knows I rarely finish a meal like I'm just I'm a picker I would rather eat like throughout the day small amounts kind of thing than like eat like a huge portion tiny little bird yeah but like I have friends that I I purposely eat more because they're that kind of like uh mentality of Annie's giving me the the counselor look right now she's like we'll talk about this next (laughs) next Thursday (laughs) Um, but you know there's people that like they are so much more like that kind of like oh yeah put some meat on your bones kind of thing and I'm like I will I will put some meat on my bones um and then there's other people that I know they restrict certain things or I know that they eat far less so I'm like okay I won't I won't have the bread starter like I I don't eat the same way with every person so let me ask you this why um I don't know Annie I have to explore this a little (laughs) I don't know I think I think that it is like part of it is is sort of um like this sense of belonging or feeling like I'm not being like a party pooper kind of thing Mm -hmm. like for the eating more part of it like I, I think yeah it's like not being a party pooper kind of being a part of this group of people that are like yeah let's have a barbecue <laughs> it's interesting though that you don't feel that way about alcohol not that you should feel like a party yeah. because you don't but you like you don't care if people drink around you and you don't like to drink yeah but I think I think food is something that I love so much and I think that's why I struggle with it because mm. I either want to feel part of this community and I see it as a social thing or I feel like guilt and shame around it with the people that are like more restrictive or you know they eat smaller portions so it's kind of one of those those two to answer your question Annie mm-hmm. um but 
you know, with alcohol, I think that's something that I'm just so uninterested in. Right. That it literally does not bother me at all. Like, it doesn't bother me if people are doing it around me. It doesn't bother if people ask me, like, 45 times in a night if I want to drink. Like, it does not bother me. Yeah. Because I don't care. Yeah. I don't want alcohol. I want food. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that it's just, that's kind of more... If anything, that's kind of more my vice than... That makes me so sad that you feel like a party pooper. Yeah, Alyssa. I don't want you to feel like... I, I, will, put, <laughs> I will put an eggplant on the barbecue. <laughs> and I will not even cook a chicken kebab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, you're the person I don't want to eat potatoes around because you're always like, well, that was really heavy in potatoes, so I, I don't feel good now. And I'm like, potatoes? It's a root vegetable. I told you it's because I eat meat and you don't eat meat, so you're allowed to eat potatoes and I should just be eating my meat. <laughs> so it goes back. When you talk about that to me, what I hear is about people pleasing. Yeah. It's about, and so, you know, how do we become reformed people pleasers? Mm. Right? Because it's, you know, people pleasing is a bit of a story, right? Like we think we're making them happy when in fact... They don't give a shit. They probably don't yeah. care. Yeah. Like, and even if they do, they'll get over it in about mm, a nanosecond. Seconds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? So, so why, why are we, why are we putting ourselves through this, right? When Well, and I think that sometimes um, I convince myself, like the people that like eat larger portions, for instance, when they're like, oh, come on, put some meat on your bones, whatever. I'm like... They're saying that to me because they feel ashamed mm. about eating the amount that they are, about eating what they are, whatever. And I'm like, I don't want them to feel that. I want them to feel like, eat whatever you want, baby. But <laughs> I'm like, then it's like, I'm, it's to my detriment because it's sometimes it's things I don't even want to eat or I'm not even like interested in or I'm like, whatever kind of thing. But I'm just like, eh, I'm just going to be part of this with you. But again, it's a story because you're making up the story that you eating that's going to make them feel better. But you know what? The reality is they're going to eat it anyway. Yeah. So eat what you want. Just ask me. Just ask me if I feel better, Sam. <laughs> Do you feel better when I don't eat the poutine, Alyssa? <laughs> I feel the same if I finish my ramen and you don't finish yours. Oh. I'm just always surprised that you don't finish it because, like, I can't stop myself. My belly can't fit that much liquid. Mine can't. <laughs> Quite frankly. <laughs> I'm wondering, Annie, what it was like, because just kind of branching off of this idea of, you know, like how other people's food habits and how the way they talk about themselves kind of affects you. I'm wondering how it was for you working in that field for kind of an extended period, because it was about five years, right, that you were in the eating disorder yeah. clinic? Yeah, I think so. Thereabouts. Um, honestly? Uh, it, it became so I worked with um, so I worked in a residential facility uh, uh, with the gang who lived there and then I did some work in the community with um, a cohort of uh, largely women who were severely um, uh, in a severe place so typically under 100 pounds in ex- an eating disorder had been going on for in excess of 10 years oh, wow. Wow. so they um so it was quite stressful uh um most people don't know this but there's quite a high mortality rate um in our in our big manual that big old book um <laughs> you know it's got one of the if not the highest one of the higher mortality rates of um any of the um uh, diagnostic mental health stuff because um because what happens is um it impacts the heart it impacts um uh depression 
uh, people start thinking impacts the brain. So people don't like they they, they think not as clearly and not as um, not in a clear, true manner, if if you if you will. Yeah. Um, their their thinking is skewed, and so that can lead to suicide. Um, so you know there was. Uh, it was just difficult because the the population um, was quite precarious. Mm. Um, so yeah, but on the on the flip side, it was incredibly um, uh, satisfying and um, heartwarming, and um, and I I really you know they the clinic there does an amazing job, and I have huge respect for all the people that do that work, and for the the women largely who went through the program and are still going through the program. Yeah. Because it's a ton of work. It's a huge commitment. It's, it's pretty hard. It's pretty courageous. How long does the recovery time typically look like? Like, how long would someone possibly be in, like, a residential? Um, I believe this, uh, oh gosh, it's been a while now, so I'm going to probably get these times wrong. Um, I want to say, um, so what they were doing at the time, and it may have changed, is they were um, in the residential facility and would go to... Uh, go to the hospital and do psychoeducation during the day um, around it and then come back and be at, at the residential facility. Um, and then some people would actually go into um, inpatient uh, scenarios and those would last um, like anywhere from a month uh, and longer um, and, and very, very intensive and everything's being monitored uh, they do psych, um, group work. They are. They all have a psychiatrist, so that it's very vigorous. Wow. Very rigorous, rather. Yeah. Very rigorous work. So, so depending on you know, some people. I work. I've actually worked with one gal who started sort of her disordered eating challenge. I would say two years ago, and she starting keto. She just uh-huh. went down that slippery slope, and but she caught herself about nine months in and then she just decided got super intentional so we did a lot of very intensive work and she's doing great that's awesome she's doing great yeah but some people there's other people that have had an, an you know started their eating disorder in their teens and they're in their 40s and they're still struggling wow. yeah so it's it's everybody has a story yeah for right? sure yeah yeah sorry i can't give sort of a pat answer on that <laughs> that's I, you okay. know right that's yeah. right no but i think that that's it's it's truthful right because it it is such an individual experience it is. and you it really is. there's so many different factors and and different types and it presents in so many different ways well and i think that's the thing that's so tricky about um any kind of mental illness is like there are some things that you may relate to with other people's mental illness and like when they talk about it and stuff like that but there's some things that are so personal to you mm-hmm. because of where that stemmed from and and what it looks like on you and, and different stuff like that and i think that can make it really tricky because you do end up feeling really alone mm-hmm. and you do end up feeling like I'm the only person that deals with it in this way. Exactly. So even if there's people dealing with this, well, they're not dealing with it like I am. Exactly. And, and I think that that just leads to, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse because you feel like, how could there be help for me? Because no one no one knows what I'm going through exactly. specifically. And that's, an, again, a separately slope because you can, you can isolate, you can use that rationale to isolate yourself into a corner, right? And yeah. in terms of the recovery piece, you know, we know that... Um, if you can get yourself into um, a group, a support group, which exists, there's one in Delta, um, there's other ones in Vancouver, um, where, and unfortunately, the resources are quite lean in this area, which has been an ongoing concern. But if you can get support from family, get support from friends, get support, you know, kind of talk about it, out yourself, if you will. Um, 
and don't convince yourself that you're the only one. There's people out there that care about you that are happy to mm-hmm. help and 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 can, you know, they're not going to be therapists perhaps, but they can tell you they love you and be patient and yeah. hug you and do all those things that we all just need as human beings, right? So, and then get the professional help because the professional help, it shows over and over again, all the research shows, not all, but the research shows that, um, that getting uh, intentional therapeutic help will will aid in moving forward and getting better yeah yeah for sure um i actually had someone because i had mentioned that we were going to be doing this topic and someone had asked me um this is such a tricky question because i feel like people have asked me this a ton about depression they're like what should i do if i think someone has depression Mm -hmm. like i think my boyfriend has depression i think my friend whatever kind of thing and i always struggle to to give them any advice on that because i feel like I don't know. I don't know what their depression looks like. I don't know, you know, what is going to be best for them. I don't know what type of person they are, what they respond to. Um, but I did have someone ask, like, what uh, what should you do if you suspect that someone you know has an eating disorder? And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. So the only thoughts I have around that is you don't want – what you do not want to do is – say oh i've no i've noticed you've lost 20 pounds what's going on right well, yeah. that you, you don't want to be stepping into that right um i would come for me that you know and you guys know this about me curiosity and compassion are your tools right if you so you know sam with your depression if someone had come in and said hey how are you you know i've noticed I'm gonna maybe seem a bit down. Are you? How you doing? You know, like don't make me cry. Anymore. No, but, <laughs> yeah. but, right? Like that's all we yeah. want as human beings is to feel yeah. plugged into somebody, right? Yeah. So if somebody was curious enough to stop and ask us, hey, you know, I really notice, you know, you're not quite yourself. Are you okay? Or that's you know, um, you know, do you need some support? Can I? How can I help? Like, um, do you want to talk? Do you whatever? Right? With eating disorders. Um, same thing. You don't, you, 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 last thing you want to do is focus on appearance or, or physical, you know, or food. Don't go there. Oh, I notice you, you know, cause that's what you start noticing. People start, start skipping meals. Oh, I'm, I'm not hungry. It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. but then it happens for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. Yeah. And so, so you don't want to be focusing that. You want to be focusing on, Hey, you know, how are you? I just, I notice your energy's a bit off. I, you know, how are you feeling? I, I notice. You're, you're feeling a bit distant to me and I, I want to feel more plugged into you. I want to I wanna feel closer to you. I want to, let's spend yeah. some time together. Like get into a relationship with them via emotion, via compassion, via just our human connection. Yeah, piece. so focusing less on the physical side of it. Yes, focusing like zero on the physical. Do not even. Don't even call it. Because color. they're already like that. If they, they are so attuned to any, 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 nuance around that Mm -hmm. you want to just not go there yeah I think I probably shared this on the podcast already but um that's what happened to me when I was in Toronto and I don't identify with having like an eating disorder or anything like that but when I was in Toronto I was having struggles because I was having anxiety around eating food and so I just wasn't eating food Mm -hmm. um so at that time did I who knows probably Annie but I don't um (laughs) (laughs) but um I I did get quite skinny I was getting skinnier and skinnier and my I worked at a restaurant there and one of the security guys um came up to me who had worked with me for the whole time and told me that I had lost a lot of weight and that he was concerned and Mm -hmm. what I heard (laughs) 
was that I look great. I'm exactly. looking really good. Exactly. <laughs> and I had just fit into a size two dress because we were given dresses and I um, was seeing a semi-famous person at the time and he was um, saying how good I was looking and stuff like that. So that was really positive to me. So what I heard in that moment was, you know, wow, this is working. And the same thing happened with one of the girls who I had worked with for years and years. She was concerned and said that I had lost a lot of weight. And again, what I heard was like, dope. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of my um, mentors came up to me and I, this was this particular day I remember because it was so hard for me to order a meal because we had to order meals in order to let one of our like other bartenders go. So I had to order a meal and I literally couldn't. I was like having so much anxiety. And my other bartender said, Alyssa, you don't have to eat it. Just like order it. And so I did. And I was sitting in front of this (laughs) dish. I remember which one it was, but it was chicken, mashed potatoes and green beans. And I literally was just like just picking at it. And my mentor came by and he said, wow, Alyssa, it's good to see that you still have your appetite. And so with all of that anxiety and I was just like, oh, so obviously I'm not doing enough that he doesn't notice. And it's just so crazy. Like the way that you can say stuff like that it i i didn't hear it the way that you were meaning it yeah right it's just crazy yeah do you feel like annie that there is like a pride piece attached to it a little bit like do you think that that has a large part to do with it i don't want to say pride um uh just because um but but just like Alyssa said though that's exactly like that is encapsulates how the listening of of those types of comments right like I don't think you were proud in that moment necessarily I mean maybe I I don't know just yeah do you know what I mean how would you describe it it was I wasn't proud you're right I was just like I'm on the right track Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think it felt like some kind of like positive reinforcement yeah. almost. Yeah. I knew what he was saying, what what all of them were saying. Well, not my mentor, but um, was was that they were concerned, yeah. but I wasn't hearing it like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, how? honestly, I was like, how can I lose more? Yeah. Right. And I've said this before on the podcast. I was at a point where I told my mom, like, I will never be skinny enough. Yeah. And and thankfully, don't have that issue anymore. <laughs> I also eat poutine. <laughs> but but those comments weren't aren't the reason. Right. But did, did can you relate to what I was saying around that nuance piece that you your listening for it was was so hypersensitive oh, around yeah. any comment around that. So you just want to really tread super, super lightly. lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um do you think I know you're, like, not on the internet, really. But do you think that social media has, like, a really big impact on the prevalence of eating disorders? I can only, I can only comment from the, um, the feedback I get from my clients, especially my teenage clients. Mm. Um, and I would say, yes, I would say that there is so much body shaming via social media, Snapchat, Instagram, um, Visco, like... There's just, and just, yeah, and even, yeah, I would say there is. I, 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 and it's it's devastating Yeah. for these kids. Do you know what I just thought of, actually, when you were saying that, is even the filters on Instagram and stuff like that that mm-hmm. make your face smaller yeah. and make your body smaller, I just realized, like, that's really not positive reinforcement. Like, there's yeah. filters that literally make you look skinnier. Yeah. Well, and, like, on, there's this app called Facetune. I'm not sure if you're aware, Annie. Okay, so there's this app called Facetune. All of our listeners will know. Um, but there's there's a portion where it's like the face portion and you can go make your lips fuller and make your nose skinnier and make your eyes bigger and make wow. your cheekbones pop and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just, 
it, it is hard. It's hard because how do you and like and and being kind of like in a position of of more of like a public figure online, um, it's hard because I'm like I know that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. I know they want to see people with bigger lips and they want to see mm-hmm. people with smaller noses and whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so it's hard to not feel like people pleasing. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to not feel like you want to give the people what they they think they want right. because that's what's so like societally accepted. And so yeah, to that point, I mean, it's 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 not just social media. If you if you join it with all the other media, mm-hmm. like I know I've said to you guys, you know, you go and you stand in line at any supermarket and you look at the ten magazines in front of you. What size are the women on the on the covers, and yeah. what do they look like? Mm. Right? And it, it's it's there's no one saying, oh, you should look like this, but just by the prevalence of it, and because it's there, and it's so subconscious, it's mm-hmm. so in, insidious, right? We don't, it's, no one's, you know, standing on a street corner saying, you need to have high cheekbones, but but it's just right. by, it surrounds us, it's everywhere. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the thing that's so tricky, and I've, I've said this a couple times, I might have said it on the podcast at some point, but, you know, it's, it's hard because, like, when I was a kid growing up, I, my access to media was was quite limited so like yeah I might I might see stuff at the grocery store I might have a magazine at home I might watch tv when I get home from school and stuff but like I didn't really have any other access to media because it wasn't a thing when I was a kid um but you know people that are growing up now like I just I have so much I have so much like compassion for mm-hmm. like your teenage clients and just just people in general that have to grow up in a world where that media is constant and it's so easy to plug into it's right there it's always at your fingertips what you should look like what you shouldn't look like mm-hmm. she's doing air quotes yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know like I, and I think that that's so so tricky because it's it's always right in front of your face whereas I felt like it was a lot more kind of controlled when I was growing up. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But we're the same age. We are. Well, yeah. I mean, you're 25, young spring chicken. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to end this just talking about a little bit about therapy. A little bit about therapy. <laughs> um, so as we mentioned, Annie is our counselor. We've had so many people asking us to talk more about um, therapy, like what that looks like, what we've learned from pe- therapy, different things like that. And so as our therapist, what do you feel like is the most like valuable thing about talk therapy? So I think that when anybody intentionally spends time having a look at their life and what they're creating and what they want to create and whether they're happy and like anybody who takes the time to actually have a look at what they're up to is going to have a better outcome. Mm-hmm. I just I just think I think from a general perspective. Mm-hmm. So as an executive coach, so I do work with CEOs and they hire me because they know by working with somebody who has a different perspective than them, they will be more effective. Yeah. Right? And I think that therapy is is quite similar um because I I never as you guys know, I never give advice. Right? Yeah, I've never given you guys advice ever, um, but I'll ask questions mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll ask tough questions. Yeah, right. So that so that it actually, um, you know, so that people end up feeling more effective in their lives. Now, it and if they're struggling with anxiety and depression or other, you know, mental health challenges, then we have strategies around that, and you guys know that. Yeah. We've talked lots and lots about different strategies, and yeah. so it can be quite concrete, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it's not kind of woo-woo, 
<laughs> it, it can be it can be quite concrete, right? Yeah. And so, um, and so that I just I just think it's helpful. I think it's it's helpful to invest in yourself. Yeah. 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 My mom was just recently here um, in Vancouver staying with us and she asked me to say thank you to Annie. Aww. <laughs> yeah. That's so because, sweet. because it's so true. Like before I went to therapy, I didn't realize that I needed therapy. And my relationship yeah. with my whole family has gotten so much better and, and just even like getting to know myself more and like talking about the shame piece and stuff like that. Like I think that I mean, I don't think that I know that <laughs> therapy is such a, an individual experience mm-hmm. and everybody is going to get something totally different out of it. Um, and that, I mean, I am lucky that I found a therapist right off the bat that I clicked with so well. And I don't think that that's always the case for people. No. I think that you can end up going through a couple that maybe you just, you know, you don't jive with. And I think that um, it is important to find that person and to kind of like not give up on yourself um, if you haven't yet. Well, and I think the thing for me, I I was so nervous about going back into therapy because I I had dabbled, but I really didn't click with the people I was going to and stuff. I didn't like them at all. Um, But my concern was that when I was like in the in the depths of like my depression, I was like, I don't want to go to therapy because then that's me relying on this person. And, and what if they aren't there? Like, I need to be able to do this myself. I need to be able to figure out how to how to make it happen myself because I can't keep relying on all these people around me because my depression started so young. Um, that was, like, a- as a child, that was kind of my mentality is that I was like, if I just meet the right boyfriend, this is going to get better. He's going to make mm-hmm. me happy because I, I had this idea that someone else was going to be in control of that. And because people made me feel good sometimes... And so I was like, well, there's going to be someone who does it like to 100%. And, and when I finally came to this realization that that wasn't reality, that isn't what was going to happen, it made me so terrified of, of therapy because I was like, I don't want to rely on this person. And, and what if they do help me? And then I can't do it myself. But I think it's actually been completely the opposite experience where like I leave feeling a lot more empowered because it does you know, come from a place of like, you are almost coming to these conclusions yourself by someone pushing you into the right direction. And it's not, um, it doesn't feel as biased. And, and that was something I was concerned about as well as I was like, you know, I, I talk to people all the time about this. Like I, I call my friends, I reach out, like I, I do whatever. And yeah, it's nice to talk to people, but at the same time, I'm like, Ugh, like you're giving me advice but like you don't really get it and like you're not really like here and like yes like I know that that's like what I should be doing but like that's just not what's happening right now um but I, I think that that's what's so valuable about the way that you conduct your sessions is, is that you do kind of come to these conclusions yourself you you decide to make those changes on your own and it does feel really empowering yeah I have full-on conversations with myself with Annie there <laughs> and I'm just like laughing <laughs> I was like, and then this, this, and then this, and then I'm like, oh yeah, but then I guess this, and she'll be like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) see you later. (laughs) That's our hour. But but it is true. I think that that's such a, (laughs) I'm in a laugh attack now. (laughs) No, but I think I didn't even like recognize that before, but like, yeah, it is so important to me that there isn't really any advice given because it's like, then you get to come up with the advice yourself by being um I guess kind of like steered in the right direction because I think that we all do have the right answers we just haven't like unlocked them yet well and I think that 
therapy to me is almost like it gives you the permission to just do this thing Mm -hmm. because a lot of things that actually help me I view as like a weak approach or I'm like ugh, this is so like hokey like this isn't going to be what's actually going to help because mental things it's it's not like just do this Mm -hmm. and then it's better like you it is like a lot of like you know re um like shifting your your thought process around things how you talk to yourself whatever and it's not like standing in a mirror mirror and being like I'm beautiful I'm beautiful until you believe it mm. it's it's such a different thing but it, it does seem hokey almost <laughs> but it's it's sort of like therapy is like this permission of of saying like no like this is how you do it and it does work and just try it and whatever kind of thing so even if you had that thought maybe beforehand of like advice for yourself someone just solidifying the idea that like yeah, that's a good idea. Right. Yeah, that could help. It makes you feel like, okay, cool. I am on the right track. <laughs> One, and having a person who really isn't biased, like, the, you know, if yeah. you talk to your friends and stuff like that, I think it's great to reach out, but you never you never really know if they're secretly judging you. Oh, for sure. And I, I don't know. I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, one day I'm going to say something, Annie's going to, like, have a little twinge or, like, you know, her head's going to go back. And then I did one day say something that I was like, this is, this is going to be that moment. And she was just like, hmm. Like, there was no difference in reaction. And I was like, wow, I could really say anything to this woman. <laughs> because, like, I mean, I was... I, Next session, we're going to really get into it. <laughs> I did some crazy things as a teen, okay? <laughs> and it is, I think it's so important to feel, you know, uh, validated isn't the right word, but feel like you can express those things and not have the shame attached to them, which I think that, you know, maybe sometimes if you are talking to people in your own life, maybe you still do feel shameful. So mm-hmm. you need to come to like an uninterested third party. I mean, Annie's interested, but you know <laughs> what I mean. A non-biased third mm-hmm. party, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think, of Annie, I mean, I feel like I was like, what do you think about therapy? And then, and then we were just like, anyways, this is what we think. Um, but like, what? Which, which, by the way, is far more interesting to me. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I'm curious, like, why... Is, is it just because of that bias? Like, do you think that's why it makes such a huge difference, like, going to that third party? Yeah, I do. I, you know, to your point, you know, it's about fit. Mm. So lots of the research bears out that it's not whether you go see a, a cognitive behavior therapist or a Freudian therapist or whatever, that it's about that you feel comfortable with this person and you trust them. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, and some people like therapists that are kind of like sit there and go, hmm. Okay. I'm not that therapist, right? Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a therapist where I, I like ask questions and I want to know more and I want to understand about what your experience is around that and what you want it to be. Um, so I think, I, think that, I think that having a non-biased third party and who someone who's just like, I, I think my stance is, I think I've told you guys about a hashtag, it's all about empowerment, right? Like right. how can you have, feel and live in a more empowered life? And what do you, what do you so I kind of take a stand for that for you guys, right? Like yeah. that's my, I take a stand for you in your life and and rocking it, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what I really do stand for every time I walk in there. So so it depends on the therapist, but I think that's what we ideally bring is we bring someone who has the courage to ask the hard questions that may be, you know, like I remember asking you a couple hard questions, right? <laughs> when, when, right? And, but you were like, and then you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I okay. I'll be on that, right? Right. So, yeah. Right? Yes, so, right. so it's just, but it's there's no judgment, right? It it comes from this place of true, honestly, 
pure intention. Well, like, and, and I think that sometimes the questions that you ask are the questions that we're scared to ask ourselves because we're like, ugh, once I ask that question, it's like we're opening the box and now right. I can't like shut right. it, you know? Right. And so I think that sometimes like, you know, almost being, not I don't want to say being forced to confront it, but for lack of better words, like it's it's kind of just eases you into it's not as scary as you think. No. It's going to be fine once we let this loose. Mm-hmm. Like, don't worry. Like, and, and I think that that also feels very empowering because you are left with this feeling of, of um, it's, it's not the end of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that, for me, before therapy um, was exactly how I felt. Everything, I was like, that's the end of my career. That's the end of my relationship. I'm not going to be friends with this person anymore, whatever. Like, And I felt like all of these things were so detrimental that like it was never going to be better. And I, and I wouldn't even realize when it did get better, I would just kind of forget about it and not even think about the fact that it had gotten better and it was actually fine and that thinking wasn't correct. Um, but because, like, we have a weekly standing appointment. And so by the time it's Thursday, I'm always like, oh, that thing that felt like the end of the world <laughs> is not even what I want to talk about in this session. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's been so empowering for me as well because it's just made me really kind of, you know, rationalize it's fine. Mm-hmm. This is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Even if the worst case scenario was to happen, it would still be fine. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing too is, you know, we we have that session every week, but then the work is really out there, mm-hmm. right? You come in, but you guys go out and day to day you incorporate stuff and you do things that change things for you, that make things better for you, that, that have you think it's not going to be the end of the world. I got this, yeah. right? Like, and so that's, you're doing the work, which is where I think the empowerment piece is. Yeah, we we muck about in, in it for an hour and we, we bring it into the light which is also yeah. what is you know the thing about the other thing about therapy that I think is quite empowering is we as humans I think hide a lot of our things that we're ashamed of and we kind of we, we, we kind of keep them out of our consciousness but that takes up a huge amount of energy yeah it takes a huge amount of like right to kind of like look good and to keep everything looking shiny but when you actually can bring stuff out and throw it down on the on the carpet and look at it and go oh well you know it's actually I can like let that go now I don't need to need that anymore and I don't need to feel ashamed about that so you take the stuff from the dark and you put it out and you have a look at it and then you let it go yeah Matt and I have had so many conversations about that because he he's a, like a stuffer like he's like I'm not gonna talk about this I'm not gonna do this and like <laughs> and he knows Matt too um but you know like he he stuffs it and stuffs it and stuffs it and I I've we've had so many conversations about this like everything that you're afraid of because you're trying so hard to avoid it mm-hmm. it's actually more present in your mm-hmm. life it's actually a huger portion than it needs to be and like by actually focusing on it for a second it it takes the emphasis off of it and now it's not as scary it's not as looming it's not something you have to worry about because it's already done exactly yeah it takes the power away from that like negative thought exactly yeah and it shows you that you can manage it yeah right right like i i got this right yeah it gives you back the power yeah yeah exactly that's an anneism (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking anneisms now i was wondering if if you were cringing every time we said should yes no shoulding (laughs) no shoulding i will or i won't i can or i I can't i can (laughs) yeah oh Uh, lord well that was a really good conversation yeah thanks so much annie for coming on thank you for having me this was really fun yeah we appreciate it yeah